Hello, friends, and welcome to Breathe Darling, the podcast. I'm your host, Emily Riggs, and I'm so excited to share this space with you. Breathe Darling is about learning to live with the uncomfortable, the difficult, and the unimaginable, and what it takes to show up wholeheartedly along the way. It's about crafting a meaningful life, one where we laugh, cry, process, mourn, hope, and heal. It's about knowing that no matter what we face, there's room to inhale a little deeper, exhale a little longer, and honor what we were designed to feel in the midst of it all. Each episode is intended to be a connected, grounding conversation that helps us breathe a little easier. So settle in, take a deep breath, and let's get started. Do you ever feel like your emotions are just too big? Like you just feel too much? Or has somebody ever given you the feedback that you're too sensitive? If so, today's episode is for you. My guest on today's podcast is Bridget Petrie. And Bridget is a professional clinical counselor with supervision designation in the state of Ohio. And she specializes in working with highly sensitive persons. Bridget is this incredible presence in the therapy scene here in Dayton, Ohio. She specializes in working with adolescent, teen, and young adult women, and has really leaned into helping women who just feel like their feelings are too big, who feel like they just don't fit in the world the way that it works now and has dedicated her therapy practice to creating space for the highly sensitive among us, helping them to navigate a chaotic world and maintain a sense of self. She does so with great care and compassion, as I'm sure you'll hear in her voice in today's episode. She is just a calming presence in my own life, and I always feel like I'm following in her footsteps a little bit, as you guys will hear in today's episode, and I don't mind it one bit. So as for her formal bio, here we go. Bridget Petrie is a licensed professional clinical counselor with supervision designation in the state of Ohio. She graduated from Wright State University with a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Bridget started her career in a hospital setting, splitting time between the adult and teen psychiatric units and the partial hospitalization programs. From there, she grew her experience in both outpatient and school-based settings. She currently owns her own private practice, Mindful Balance Counseling, located within The Well, a center for women's wellness in Kettering, Ohio. Working in this setting allows her to collaborate with other practitioners and to provide whole person care to her clients. Her approach with clients is integrative, relational, and person-centered. She views each person as a whole, focusing on the mind, body, and soul, and not just their symptoms. Using evidence-based practices and alternative approaches, she likes to help clients explore deeper into the complex nature of their problems and help them to recondition negative patterns and thought processes. She particularly enjoys working with women ages 16 to 40, wanting to build self-awareness, feel more empowered, and be able to trust themselves more intuitively. She also has experience and knowledge working with introversion and highly sensitive persons, which is the topic again of our podcast today. Again, if you have ever felt like you feel too much, you feel too big, 
that the world is overstimulating and overwhelming, you're in good company. And Bridget has so much goodness to say on today's podcast. So as we always say, take a deep breath, settle in and let's get started. Okay. So we've been talking for 36 minutes already (laughs) and decided we should just go ahead and hit record. But I'm so excited to be sitting here with Bridget Petrie, a beloved fellow therapist and friend, and just really excited for whatever we talk about, because I know it's going to be great. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yes. And I think it's very important that we first tell people where we are having this conversation. Yeah. So I currently have um, my counseling business, Mindful Balance Counseling, um, at a place called The Well. It's located in Kettering. So it has been here for a year. Mm -hmm. April Klein is the owner. Um, She's also the guru of like all things. She's a (laughs) midwife, a doula, lactation consultant. She does craniosacral, like emotional release, nutrition consulting. Um, So she, yeah, had the idea to just like have a collective space with Mm -hmm. a bunch of different practitioners. So we all own our own businesses, Mm -hmm. but really collaborate together refer to each other it's so it's a space where clients can come and they know what to expect and you know I think it can be really stressful going into a doctor's office Mm -hmm. or just anywhere new and so already having this like established safe space that you can go and Mm -hmm. see all the people you need to see um so we have like a nurse practitioner massage therapist uh physical therapist Um, there's a licensed social worker. I'm a counselor. Um, we have people who do Reiki, brain spotting, Mm -hmm. like so many cool things. Massage, right? Yeah. We have, um, they have like a new mom support group weekly that they have up in like the group room. So yeah, it's a really cool space to, for people just to feel safe at and yeah, Mm -hmm. offer so many cool services. Yeah. And you can feel it when you're in here. Like, I mean, we're sitting in your office right now and it's just so calm and peaceful, but just even walking through the front door, which if anybody's local to Dayton Kettering area, you probably know about this because it's the bright pink door uh, on the building, um, off Stroop across from Kroger. Um, but you just walk in and it's this incredible presence. It normally smells really good in here too. Yeah, it smells good. (laughs) It just, it, it has such great energy. I feel like you do, you come in and it just Mm -hmm. feels like a home community, you know, I feel like we have like coffee and tea and it just feels like kind of like hanging out with a friend. Like anytime you come in, it doesn't feel clinical, you know, I feel like you can just kind of like ease anxiety just as soon as you come in instead of, yeah, going into like a doctor's office where it feels clinical and you're nervous and yeah, it's a really amazing space. April did an amazing job. Like, yeah. she completely renovated it. Yeah. Like, the kitchen's brand new. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. They do classes and workshops in there, too. So, yeah, it's just an awesome place to be at. Yeah, and it's such a nice space to, you know, especially after the, what we've all lived through in terms of, like, being so separate and distanced and to, like, come into this space that that's cozy, right? Yeah. And people can gather again. Yeah. I just feel like it's... It, what she's done here is so incredible and we're going to link all things the well yes. and tag yeah. and all of it um and so that everybody here can try to get connected with it because it's just such an awesome spot yeah i know i want everyone to come here and be yeah. able to come here know, and so like great. feel it i feel yeah. like it is once you come you're like 
oh, I want to be there. Like yes. it does, it does have such yes. a good feeling. Yes. Yeah. Well, before we dive into some of your work as a therapist yeah. and talk a little bit more about some of your specialties, I'd love to have you just introduce yourself and just share with us who you are yeah. and um, anything else about your life that you're like, yeah, this is me. Yeah. So I am a licensed counselor. So I've been practicing, I think, six, maybe seven years at this point. Um so yeah, I just got married in June, yes, so I did. am two months in to <laughs> married life. Um, we have lots of animals, so I'm a big animal lover. Thankfully, my husband is too. Um, so we have three dogs, two cats. We just got oh my a gosh. new. <laughs> we just got a new dog. So after wedding planning, I was like. I have so much free time. So I think like my new hobby will be fostering animals. So I was super excited. We agreed to only foster kittens because I thought that would be like an easy thing to let go of. Easier to let go of. And so as soon as I did my orientation, the lady texted and was like, we have puppies coming in tomorrow. Can you take one? I was just like, we're doing it. So went and picked up. (laughs) The puppy and Aww. like instantly fell in love. My husband was like, "You know, this we're not <laughs> getting rid of this." And I was like, "No, we're gonna try. Like, we have to." And yeah, like within a few days, when she texted me the information about the adoption event, like I got teary eyed thinking of dropping him off. So I was like, "Yeah, I think so you kept I think we're keeping him." <laughs> so that's how we ended up with three dogs. That was not the oh, plan, no. but like we had to return all the. F- foster stuff because I was like we can't yeah. do anymore like our, hard our house is only <laughs> so big it's already a little chaotic so yeah that's a big thing big animal lover oh, um yeah yeah I love all things um like I love energy healing stuff Reiki mm-hmm. I love astrology I took like a, a six-week course on astrology nice. that was really fun and interesting um so yeah, that's kind of like personal stuff about yeah. me. Um, I've been, like I said, a therapist for around six years and I started out um, working at a psych inpatient unit and okay. I worked on, um, they had an adult as well as an adolescent unit. So I was kind of afloat and I would go between the okay. two. And then I also also worked in their partial hospitalization program, which was kind of in an out external building. Um, and that mm-hmm. was for adolescence as well so I kind of popped around wherever they needed me um so that's where I did my internship as well as my um probably first year to two years as a therapist um and then moved to a private practice and did school-based and then kind of transitioned into college age now I'm doing college age young women I still see you know some older teens Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of transitioned from there but I still love working with teenagers I feel like that's kind of where it started and I still am very passionate about you know that age so I feel like it's such a transition period and trying to kind of like find your identity and so yeah I really really Mm -hmm. like that age range yeah what do you feel like was the driving force for you to become a therapist so honestly I mean I feel like a lot of therapists say this but I feel like I just was like that friend growing up, mm-hmm. like the per- the like mom friend, the one who like <laughs> everyone would come to with problems. I feel like I just was good at like listening, um, trying to be very non-judgmental in my responses to friends, especially, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel like there was judgment if they would share things with me, which I think kind of gave them like a safe space. So I feel like personality wise, that's just kind of how I was. Um, college was a difficult 
transition period for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel like I was um, kind of undecided as far as what I wanted to do. I jumped around. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to do political science. I took a psychology class. Wow. And I was like, this clicks. I love yeah. this. So I ended up getting my degree in psychology um, and, yeah, ultimately decided I wanted to be be a therapist. I feel like kind of having a difficult experience, like, I feel like that mm. 18, 19 yeah. range is so hard, especially if you do go away to school mm. and you're kind of trying to find your identity and figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. You're trying to, yeah. you know, navigate friendships, relationships. I feel like that was just a really hard period in my life. I think that was the first time I experienced like severe depression. Mm. Um, and I'd always kind of had anxiety, but it definitely escalated around that time period. And yeah. I think, um, you know, I went to therapy at that time and I saw the benefit and I felt like this is something I could do and kind of provide for hopefully other people the experience to work through those things and kind of come out the other end and feel Mm. obviously much better about themselves. So I feel like that was a a kind of a driving force. You know, I think obviously being a therapist, a lot of times like our goal is to help people and we want to make a difference. And so I feel like that was a perfect job to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds like your experiences, your personal experiences that then right impacted you in wanting to you step into this field. It's also kind of channeled into the population that you specialize with. Yeah. Like you, I think many of us as therapists draw on our, our personal experiences. Obviously we don't want to put our experiences on the clients that we're working with or, you know, more or less force them to approach it the way that we did. But I think it does help with, with our empathy to have some idea of what they've been through Yeah, and be able to help walk them through that right not only with our clinical skills but just being a person who's gone through something similar yeah I feel like I saw something someone who is who's a therapist or a coach kind of post that your ideal client is an older version of you Mm. that you have kind of you've been through similar problems and you have learned to cope or manage or you know have insight or self-awareness around it and so there, I feel like a lived experience, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessary, but I do feel like it helps bridge like a connection with the client because you've been there and you, you really do know those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, you can very much empathize and you know, you know how difficult it is to be there. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it is much easier to connect. I don't think it's always necessary, but I do think Agreed. it's like, mm-hmm. you know, does help with the connection piece. And I do think it, it makes sense as far as like the age range that I see, because that was such a like transformational time in my life that I feel like it's nice to be a support person for, you know, women who are also going through that. And again, Mm -hmm. I can empathize and I know those feelings and I know how hard it is. And so I just feel like I'm the best therapist when I'm in those kind of situations with clients. Yes, I I have to agree. And I think just going back to what you'd said about like, it's absolutely not required, right? I work with a ton of women who are, you know, working through perinatal issues, postpartum issues, right? Uh, Motherhood. I'm not a mother. I've never been pregnant. Yeah. And I feel like we both have clients who are Mm -hmm. moms. So, you know, we don't have to have that experience, but I feel like being able to relate to 
the feelings of being overwhelmed mm-hmm. or needing boundaries and not knowing how yeah. to set those. So yeah. we, you know, even if we don't have the lived experience, I think a lot of times having the shared feelings I mean I do feel like we obviously can empathize with a lot of that Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah I think that it um I think what you said it perfectly like I just am a better therapist when I'm drawing on that yeah drawing on my own experience and there is that that those times and I've said this to a couple of my clients before that like we're still people right we're still gonna feel things in session when people are sharing yeah their hardest moments with us right the hardest things that they've been through it's we're still going to have a reaction so I always say to my clients like I might get misty and that's okay right like that's not it's not on you to stop right it's not on you to comfort me right this is not what you're here for but you know just acknowledging like I am a person if I have had shared experiences it's possible that that might bring up something in me not a trigger but that can happen yeah Um, but it might bring up something in me like I specialize in grief as somebody who has known great grief yeah. right and so if a client comes to me um because their their mother has passed away oh that's gonna you that's can yeah you can some, empathize with the pain exactly. yeah and i feel like you've obviously done your own personal exactly. work with grief so i feel yeah. like that's the biggest thing is like doing your own personal mm-hmm. work so yes those things are still going to mm-hmm. affect us as humans but we've worked through it in a way where it's not triggering or mm-hmm. you know it's not that counter transference yes. it's just I'm able to relate but I also have done the work and taken the time and like given space to this so yeah I can relate but I also mm-hmm. am in a good place to like be able to hold it for you because I feel like go. that was a huge thing was I feel like I'm good at working with that age range because I've done a lot of yeah. work you know I've done yeah. I've went to therapy myself I've read a lot of books you know mm-hmm. I've done and I've invested in that, so I feel like I can be helpful in that space, and mm-hmm. it's not not triggering. And again, I'm not like there's not the counter transference of mm-hmm. that happened to me. It's yeah, I'm just able to kind of sit with it in a different yeah. way. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. I think I'm seeing a lot of that in the therapy space where people are talking about obviously the importance of therapists having therapists right going to therapy and while I don't think it's a mandate right depending on your season of life what's going on but I do think it would be important to at least have a therapist that you can even check in with as needed yeah I feel like I've always been in and out Mm -hmm. of therapy you know Mm -hmm. and I've had a couple different therapists just working whether it's a different approach or it's a different um yeah, like this therapist was amazing for this aspect in my yeah. life and I want to try a different therapist with a different approach or different different modality, but I feel like I've been on and off therapy, yeah. I mean, since probably age 18 and yeah. I feel like that's been one of the biggest factors at being able to like mm-hmm. show up and be present with mm-hmm. clients because we have done that work yeah. and I feel like that, yeah, had I not done that, I think this would look a lot different. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but I also think it is really important as therapists that we know what it's like to sit on the other side of the room. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That we can empathize. I personally was seeing a therapist and then it just wasn't a great fit. So, you know, decided to take a pause and I've decided, okay, I want to try and get back out there. Right. And it does, gosh, it feels, I have not dated in a very long time, but it feels like dating and like, okay, I'm ready to get back out there. And I went to psychology today, right. Which is where we send most people if they're looking for a therapist. 
And just the act of even sitting down, deciding, okay, this person looks like a good fit for me. I'm going to reach out for them. The wave of empathy that came over me was like, oh my gosh, this is what every person, likely, right, I'm projecting, but possibly what every person feels when they sit down and reach out to a therapist. And it had been a minute since I had done that. And it just felt like, okay, it's a good reminder that, you know, for as therapists, when those inquiries show up in our inbox, somebody has really taken a huge step. Yeah. Not knowing on the other end, like how much it took to get to that place Mm -hmm. to reach out and yeah, yeah, being really, you know, empathetic with, oh, it's just not another referral. It's just not another email. Like this is someone who has probably sat down, looked through, maybe they've clicked off. Maybe they've been thinking about coming for months. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe they've been thinking about coming for years Mm -hmm. and I'm the first person they emailed. And you have to really keep that in perspective Mm -hmm. that it really is, it does take a lot to get there. And it is being on the other end and, you know, kind of looking through the therapist options and who's going to be the best fit and like trying to gauge that. And, and sometimes they aren't and that's okay. And sometimes it is like, you just know, and you're like, that's, that's the one. Like, I feel like it is. And that's the one for now. And maybe, you know, a few months or a few years, you're like, all right, I feel like I've gotten what I can from this relationship. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a pause. Maybe you, you go find someone else who does a different modality, but Yeah. yeah, I feel like it is just so hard sometimes to just sit in like the action of reaching out. Yes for help and yeah yeah, I think it's it is good to like have that perspective of Mm -hmm. what a client's experiencing too on the other end absolutely yeah yeah I know we were talking a little bit before we started recording about um you know just in a this post-covid world that we're in the destigmatizing that's happened around mental health and therapy and now more and more people are reaching out yeah um and that comes with its own challenges as therapists in terms of navigating you know how to meet that demand how to set personal boundaries to like ensure that we're we can stay in the game for as long as possible yeah right Uh, what are some things that you do as a therapist to practice self-care around that like how do you aside from right doing your own work how do you stay in it, stay present to the work yeah. after, right, sitting with, like we said, sit, sitting with people in some of their worst moments, right? Yeah. So my experience when I graduated school, I was working at, on the, the psych unit. I mean, it was heavy, mm-hmm. heavy stuff. I mean, it was like, if you're going to see intense stuff, like that's where you're going to see it, yeah, you know? Sure. I mean, there's crisis, it's intense trauma, it's just people are in you know, very difficult places. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was very challenging as a new therapist being in that space. And I remember like most of the days I would leave work crying. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is this just life as a therapist? Like I it's thought there, it that is. it was normal mm-hmm. to feel that way. And especially working with the teenagers, you know, like the trauma they would experience in just their short span of life and, you know, seeing them, managing and coping Mm -hmm. and you know seeing them get better and leave the program but I mean just sitting with them during those times was very challenging um because it was a lot of intense emotions and I feel like as a person I'm generally very sensitive I feel like it was hard for me to separate and not take that home Mm -hmm. and after about a year of working there you know I had something at work that was personally triggering and 
it kind of, I think I'd realized I'd been working in survival mode for so long. And I feel like as a new graduate, you know, I enjoyed going to work. I feel like I enjoyed working with my clients. They enjoyed working with me. I was good at my notes. So Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone saw that I was in that space. And then it got to the point where it was almost like my body was like, you can't keep going like this. And I just remember, you know, having a day again, kind of being triggered, going home, being very emotional and just being like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I ended up leaving that job. I even was contemplating like, I don't know if I should be a therapist anymore. Leaving altogether, yeah. right? Yeah, and so I sat with it, you know, kind of looked at some other jobs, ended up, you know, after a month applying and, and ended up going school-based. But Okay. So with that, I feel like it was a huge learning, like a huge lesson for me and that I had to respect my boundaries and what my capacity was. And I learned that, crisis and inpatient and those very intense moments were not for me. Mm -hmm. You know, there are amazing Mm -hmm. therapists who they thrive in those settings. And for me, like it, my nervous system was, was too overwhelmed by that. I could not separate. I was too pulled into the emotions and, and it just wasn't a good fit. And I feel like it was very challenging for me to say like, Mm -hmm. you can't do this or you can, but it's not good for you. And so I had to make the choice to pursue something else and and I found what felt right and I feel like I can still be a therapist but knowing what my limits are yeah and I feel like from that experience I had no choice but to set boundaries it was like if I'm going to be in this position and I'm going to be good in this position like I have to set boundaries so a big thing self-care that's kind of what I'm getting to is no it's great setting boundaries for myself in terms of like my schedule like I do have a smaller caseload than I Mm -hmm. think a lot of therapists Mm -hmm. and I do have a cap on how many clients I'll see in a day because I know if I go over that like I'm not showing up as my best self and again my clients aren't getting the best version of me and so I'm very strict in a sense with that that caseload limit with that like limit as far as how many clients I'm going to see in a day you know I try to be very mindful with communication you know as far as texting or emailing or you know communication with clients like I try to have a certain hour range where I am available um yeah because I do feel like that can be you know if I'm getting an email at nine and then I'm responding to that it Mm -hmm. does start to feel like my job is also yeah a part of my my personal life and I think it's really good to have that separation so I feel like just boundaries as far as like time and space and you know kind of what I take on and also respecting my limits and trying not to compare it to other people like yes there are other Mm. therapists who probably can have c40 clients in a week Mm. and can respond to an email at 1am and can you know work at the inpatient unit and feel Mm. really energized with that and you know just that's great for them and knowing that like I don't have to be that way to also be a good therapist. And I think that was mm. a really hard thing to have to accept. And I feel like I'm in a good place with it, but it did take some time. Yeah. So yeah, I think the the boundaries is a huge thing as far as self-care. I would say it's probably the biggest thing that I do to take care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I have, I have so much respect for that. I feel like our, not without going into too many details I've, I've shared with you, but I feel like our stories are so parallel. Like, yeah. Um, not to mention like 
growing up in similar areas, yeah. right, down to, like, our professions. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little <laughs> so bit older than you. Align. But I almost feel like I walked in your footsteps, like, yeah. you know, in terms of, like, without knowing it. You, yeah. You and I met two years ago. Yeah, and everything was just like, was oh, just weird. this happened, like, and we did this yeah, at the kind yeah. of same time. Like, or... I, after I left the private practice that you and I were, both worked at at the same time, I actually went and worked in a very similar program to what you had. It's just like crazy the way our our stories overlap, but I feel like everything that you're talking about learning and working to implement in your life are things that I am in the middle of being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Right. Like I literally just left the job that was so, so draining. Mm -hmm. Um, and for my coworkers, it wasn't. Yeah. Like they could go in, do it, leave, come back the next day and they had all been there for 20 years right yeah. and here like I they am. still had the energy exactly. at 20 years exactly. and you're like oh my gosh how I'm struggling yeah. like to get through the week sometimes yes. yeah yeah and and getting to that place of of burnout and sometimes that's due just to um just to use a little industry speak of the, the acuity um or the severity yeah. of the the mental illness that someone was struggling with um, I just found myself highly anxious, weepy. I mean, my poor coworkers <laughs> would have to just be like, I can just like take a minute. You know what <laughs> I mean? A, take a step. Yeah, right? I know. I feel like there just... a few times they'd be like, all right, go take a, take yeah. a break in the office for a bit. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like, again, just another similarity, I think, between the two of us is these like really high functioning, um, to the point of self detriment. Yeah. And, so it's like on the outside, as you were alluding to with your story, people are like, she's getting everything done. She's, she's the star. She's the top yeah. of the class. This is great. But inside you're like, I am very, not slowly dying quickly. Right. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Like this is going out. to, to the, there's yes. a breaking point and yeah. it's coming soon. Like yeah. it's kind of unavoidable. Yeah. And I just love hearing that you are at this place where you feel really settled in your routines. You feel really good about where you're at with the boundaries that you've set. Cause I feel like as somebody who has returned to private practice now, just recently in May went full time into private practice, I'm having to set those boundaries for yeah. myself. And that comparison that you were alluding to is just so potent, right? Whether it's social media or other therapists that you know, where you're like, they see a thousand people a week. How, how, right? And I, you and I were just talking about somebody that we really admire who her capacity is just enlarged, right? Over time, right? She's got years and years on us. And still so passionate about it. Like in love with her job. Her work. Yeah. And you know, maybe as we were saying before we started recording, maybe one day we'll be there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll still only see four or five yeah. people a day and call it quits, you know? Yeah. But I just, I so admire where you're at at this point and just please plan on me continuing just to pitter patter in your footsteps. Yeah. Because... Okay. It's, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a journey and it's definitely, I mean, it's taken lived experience mm-hmm. to get to this point. You know, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I could have been a new grad in set boundaries or even known what I needed yeah. or how to even go about that. And I feel like, yeah, it's taken me a while to get to this point. It's still challenging. You know, if my caseload is full and I, I get an email from yeah. someone and they really want to, desperate, to get yeah. in, you know, and, and sometimes I'm flexible on it. And sometimes like I really have to be strict with that. Just knowing again, my capacity. And if I give too too much outside of that, then that 
is at the cost of my current clients and that's then that's the priority and it is really hard right now because I do feel like in a great way mental health is you know becoming less stigmatized people are much more open to it but that means it's in a in a high demand and I feel like you know we want to get people in and we want to see Mm -hmm. them and we want to help them and I feel like it's really hard when Mm -hmm. you know there's wait lists all over the place and people can't yeah. get in for months and you know our job back. yeah That's, no one responds oh. to them and you know our job is to help and I feel like it's really hard that especially to stick with the boundaries yeah. and you know make sure we're taking care of ourselves so that when we can get that person in they're getting yeah the best version of us yeah so. yeah I love that I think it's so important something you had alluded to when you were talking about you know, being in that role that you inevitably said, okay, this is not for me. This is not, if this is being a therapist, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Right. And you'd mentioned this idea of acknowledging your own sensitivity. Right. And I, we don't say that as a bad thing, right? Yeah, in our business, no. we're like, we love sensitivity. We love sensitivity. <laughs> yes. Give us more sensitivity. All the, all the sensitivity, <laughs> all the emotions. Yes. Yeah. And so I would love for you to expound on, because I actually think this is going to, help a lot of listeners feel really seen, um, this idea of highly sensitive persons. Yeah. So like I I kind of was talking about, you know, college age range, you know, also like freshly out of grad school, working as a therapist, you know, I just felt different again in terms of my capacity. Why is everyone else able to do this? Why am I leaving crying every day from work? Why can I only see this many clients? Why do I want to spend all this time by myself? You know, like all of these whys as if it was something that was wrong. And, you know, I felt really bad about myself. And so I feel like I, you know, always reading and looking into things. And I came across the term like highly sensitive persons and um, like took a little quiz online and, um, we love an online quiz. Yes. <laughs> and then, you know, it was like, well, you might, might be highly sensitive. And it was kind of the first time I'd, I'd heard of it and I read through it. And then I, you know, I read a few books and it, it just really resonated with how I felt. Um, and so highly sensitive persons is it's within the neurodivergent umbrella. Okay. So, okay. you know, kind of within that there's autism, ADHD, um, sensory processing disorder, which, um, highly sensitive persons also is, um, it is sensitive, sensitivity processing, no sensory processing sensitivity. So it's more of a temperament, whereas there is sensory processing disorder, which can create kind of more of a challenge. Um, that seems like an important distinction. Yeah. And then also, um, OCD, I think, falls within that category. There's, you know, probably others within kind of the neurodivergent umbrella, but basically the idea is that our brains function in a way that is not typical. And I put that in quotations because I feel like everyone is different. You know, I don't want to shame. Yeah, I don't want to shame that in any way because I feel like everyone is probably neurotypical or, I mean, neurodivergent in some sense. Mm -hmm. But so it's within that kind of umbrella. And so there are a lot of crossovers between all of those, like, diagnoses. You know, I think there's a crossover with ADHD and autism and and especially women. I feel like a lot of the neurodivergent um, diagnoses get missed. You know, I think we kind of learn to mask and, and hide those away or just Mm -hmm. learn how to, okay, that's not acceptable. Let me present in a different way. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of times those are kind of missed 
in women. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even read that even more missed in women of color. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I feel like it's just something that is just now kind of, like, being paid mm-hmm. attention to, which I think is great. But, so, anyways, the highly sensitive person is, again, kind of within that umbrella, but it's not a disorder. It's not a diagnosis. It's a, like, temperament. So, okay. basically, like, looking yeah. at it as a personality trait, like, it, like introversion or something. Okay. So, this is, like, an innate quality that I think it's 15 to 20% of people have and Mm -hmm. so the idea is that um you know evolutionary having sensitive people within the group was a benefit to the group you know Mm -hmm. because they were able to pick up on subtleties in the environment subtleties in people's behavior they were you know hyper vigilant they were in-depth processing you know not impulsive and so something about this trait obviously carried through because there is a benefit to it and i feel Mm -hmm. like reading about it and seeing the strengths in it really helped me come to terms, accept, and then also work with some of these things that I saw as like, what is wrong with me? Mm. Um, And also about 30 to 40% of people in therapy are highly sensitive because they are typically ones to seek out therapy because they are really motivated in self-growth and mm. you know very intuitive and they quick they make progress fairly quickly yeah. in therapy because they're very like dedicated to their self-awareness yeah. and so I think it is a great thing for therapists and people in general to be aware of because I think there are such you know it's again 15 20 percent of the world has mm-hmm. this trait and mm-hmm. you know especially in therapy most of our clients are probably coming in with this trait yeah. and kind of feeling the same way like why can't I do this why is this so challenging why mm-hmm. can everyone else be this way and I can't mm-hmm. and just having a lot of shame around that yeah, sure yeah and I feel like being able to look at it in a positive way accept it and you know hopefully kind of move through some of the shame related to those qualities mm-hmm. When you had mentioned some of the strengths, like if and if somebody is hearing you speak about this, maybe hearing about this concept for the first time, and they're like, whoa, okay, my ears are perking up, highly sensitive persons, hang on a second, that sounds like me. What would you say are some of the traits, right? Yeah. It sounds inherent to the name, right? Yeah. Highly sensitive, okay. Um, but what would you say are you're seeing, you know, in therapy with somebody that you would say, okay, they, they definitely have this temperament. Of being highly sensitive. Yeah. So actually, I have some little notes because oh, I, I want to make sure I don't don't mess up on any of this. So there's an acronym that comes with like highly sensitive person. So Elaine Aaron is, you know, she's the researcher. She's the one who's kind of coined this term. Mm-hmm. You know, she's done research since, since the 90s around highly sensitive person. So it's still a fairly new concept. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we may learn more. It may be like a subset of autism it may be a subset of you know something other kind of neurodivergence but um for now it's kind of individualized as just a trait but um yeah so the acronym is does so d-o-e-s so you know the d stands for depth of processing so this is you know if i'm seeing a client who's you know deeply reflective you know not necessarily i mean ruminating can be in itself that's more of an anxious trait but Mm. um you know just very intentionally thinking through decisions and again not in a ruminating sense like panicky but just really you know not making impulsive choices I'm going to think through this Mm. I'm going to think what I want to say I'm going to you know really feel prepared 
and do it in an intentional way. So anytime there's like depth of processing, that's kind of a sign that potentially this person could be highly sensitive. Okay. Um, the O is for overstimulation. So this okay. is becoming, you know, overwhelmed. This can be sounds, smells, you know, a lot of times crowds, lighting, you know, things within your environment. Also, I think, um, you know, people who tend to, like an example is, you know, you're on vacation and you go to the zoo all day and then people want to go out to a concert later that night. Mm. Again, that may be doable for some people. Someone with who's HSP or highly sensitive, that's going to feel like too much within yeah. a day. You know, it's okay. going to be kind of like pick or choose in terms of energy. Like, okay. because of the overstimulation, they can only manage to a certain point and then they've kind of met met capacity so definitely people who are mm. reporting as overstimulated or just generally feeling overwhelmed and with that being you know kind of environmental things um the e stands for emotional reactivity also empathy so this is mm. just more intense feelings and that's good or bad so you know the idea of like watching violent movies typically would be like okay. triggering for someone who's hsp because those images are very disturbing they're processing them in depth it's going to stick with them they're going to have more intense of a response to mm -hmm. things along those lines but also in a good sense so like music and artwork like they are going to have intense emotions they might cry at those things mm. or just have like a really intense response to those um so again someone who's just sensitive whether good or you know kind of good or bad imagery of how mm -hmm. their response is um and then the s is like sense of subtlety so just being able to perceive subtleties in the environment people's verbal nonverbal cues okay. so they're usually able to like like if someone's sitting in a room and they kind of look uncomfortable someone who's hsp would be like oh is the lighting off do you need a pillow mm. do you want a blanket like they're kind of noticing this person is maybe a bit uncomfortable they're picking up yeah. non-verbally and they're also kind of aware of like what in the environment could help them feel better yeah. so i think that's also part of the overstimulation is the you're constantly, constantly thinking like yeah. picking up subtleties in the room you're reading people's body language you're mm -hmm. you know looking and being hyper vigilant and yes you're, that's a word you yeah. just took it right out of my mouth yeah, yeah in the environment and so that is also exhaustive to the nervous system and so that becomes overstimulating so yeah looking for those things i feel like when when some of those things pop up with clients you know that's kind of my key of like okay maybe maybe they're highly sensitive but mm. you know i think the good aspects are intuitive, empathetic, mm -hmm. reflective, you know, deep thinkers, um, self-aware. They really want to grow. Like yeah. they really, it's really important that they be a better version mm -hmm. of themselves. And so I think it's a great trait. And I think when you can kind of accept it and work with it, you know, yeah. like, okay, I, I can't do this activity all day. I'm going to drive separate. And that way, like I do the activity yeah. and then my friends can go do what they want to do. But like, I'm going to go home early or, you mm -hmm. know, I need a couple extra hours of alone time tonight, you know, mm -hmm. and just working with those things to like give themselves permission to be that way, but also like how to better take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, and then that helps with all of the things, like feeling overstimulated and all of the things that, you know, mm. kind of feel wrong with it. Yeah. I often say to my clients who lean in this direction, I'm not trained in HSPs like, like you are, but it's definitely something I'm curious about, both personally because I feel very seen by much yeah. of that. Um, but, you know, I always say to my clients who they, they maybe are like self-critical about 
feeling too much, being too much, yeah. um, feeling exhausted because of constantly reading the room, that hypervigilance that you alluded to. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of reframing this idea of sensitivity as their superpower, yeah. not, not something to, um, be, be angry about or yeah. frustrated feel shame at. around. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like, you know, for so many people, it's, it's starting to see those things as really beautiful and really positive. Um, it reminds me of, I'm not sure if you've heard of Susan Cain. She mm -hmm. wrote um, Quiet and Bittersweet. Yeah. I feel like she just, she sees all of us who maybe just don't fit this mold yeah. in the world where she's like, introverts, yay! Yeah. Melancholy people, yay! Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, this idea that, like, the world wasn't necessarily made for the highly sensitive person, especially our world that is yeah. just so stimulating, so chaotic. It's this hustle and bustle. Yeah. I mean, and the, you know, kind of the hustle culture yeah. of like, you know, it's the more loud. you, the more yeah. you work, the more impressive mm -hmm. it is. Or, you know, mm -hmm. I do feel like it, it isn't built for that. And no. I, so I do think like societally there is shame around that trait. And yeah. I, that's why I think people, you know, people will come to me and they'll be like, okay, I read up and I think I'm highly sensitive. How do I not be? Yeah. And it's like, but that's not the point. Yeah. yeah. And also like, that's not an option, you know, yeah. as much as you might want it, like that is likely not going to go away. I think mm -hmm. it is again, more of the acceptance and how do I view this as a superpower? How do I work mm -hmm. with it? How do I take care of myself so that I feel these things in a, in a more positive way mm -hmm. than it just feeling like something's wrong with me all the time. Yeah. Well, that's such a heavy burden to carry, right? It's this idea that like something's wrong with me or I'm inherently flawed because I don't see the world the way other people see it or um, fit into this mold of how other people process the world or are able to show up, right? Feeling silly or ridiculous because you're exhausted after the zoo and you want to go to the concert yeah. but you're like am I going to be able to show up there and really enjoy it yeah. or am I going to want to cry the whole yeah, time? Yeah, be exhausted right? and yeah, I just want to go home. Yeah, yeah. I so appreciate you parsing that out because I do feel like um, so many people are going to feel seen by that and I, I don't feel like it's had the spotlight on it that it really needs to. Yeah. Um, and even just learning, that was news to me that it falls under that neurodivergent umbrella. Yeah. Um, and I see so many traits that are similar to some of those other diagnoses that are yeah. under there. So that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that you had alluded to was that idea too of, um, almost you need to get really creative about your interventions, right? Yeah. Really creative about how you make adjustments so that you do feel like you can show up in the world and still enjoy it, but also practice that self-care that's yeah. so important as an HSP. And I feel like that's what I see a lot around any of the the neurodivergent diagnoses or temperaments is the world wasn't necessarily made to accommodate what you need. Yeah. And so we have to get really creative. Yeah. You have about to how we make it. Yeah. yeah. You have to yeah. make it fit for you. Yeah. Cause I do feel like, you know, there are ways to, you know, obviously you can have like noise canceling headphones sure. or certain things <laughs> are like yeah. overwhelming or yeah, maybe it is, um, you know, crowds are, you don't, function best in crowds and not necessarily avoiding, but, you know, picking activities that are maybe, yeah. um, more fitting, or I feel like focusing on how do you like rejuvenate? Mm. How do you like balance your nervous system so that yeah. when you do go into these scenarios that are not necessarily made for you and are going to cause overstimulation, like 
you are in a good place to manage it. Mm -hmm. Cause I think a lot of times it is you're overwhelmed and then you're going into a new situation that's adding overwhelm and it's just kind of compiling. And I think that's where the exhaustion comes from because there's not always that state of like rejuvenation or just like rest yeah. to be able to like go and manage the overstimulation again. Yeah. I mean, I, what it's sounding like a lot to me and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but is that idea of spoons and spoon mm -hmm. theory, yeah. right? I figured you know what it yeah. was. Um, and I feel like it's a topic that's growing in popularity and it's one that I have used personally with some friends who, so I personally have an autoimmune disease now too, thanks yeah. to the endometriosis <laughs> diagnosis recently, but, um, just keep adding them on. Um, but even just presenting this idea of spoon theory to my friends has been really helpful and the premise behind it, I'll link to some videos on it, but the premise behind it is that, um, we all kind of wake up with a certain number of spoons and it's spoons because the woman who created this was trying to explain her energy her set finite amount of energy to a friend and they were sitting down eating and she just grabbed a bunch of spoons yeah. to try and demonstrate right but the idea of like you know somebody who maybe isn't an hsp or doesn't have an autoimmune disease or right isn't necessarily um ha have a ton of obstacles in their way right in life um they maybe start out the day with 10 spoons but somebody who maybe is an hsp or has an autoimmune disease maybe starts out with six or seven. Yeah. So the person who doesn't have, you know, something hard going on has more energy. They have more opportunity to show up in the world. Yeah. And their, their baseline is yes, at that their point. Their baseline yeah. is higher. Their capacity is, is bigger. And, you know, for somebody who's an HSP, they might have to decide, okay, my best friend has 10 and I have six. I have to decide how to spend my six. And maybe one of those is on coffee this weekend with a friend. Yeah. And then another is going to the grocery store and another, right. You yeah. know, like being really intentional about, about t intentional about how we spend our energy because it, yeah. even those activities that maybe for, uh, a typical, using quotes, typical yeah. person is going to the grocery store is one. For an HSP, it might be two or three. Yeah. Because it's that much more stimulus, that much more interaction with other people. Yeah. And it can be that much more overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. So I just feel like it's, I don't know, just giving people more language. Obviously, we want to avoid labeling, right? And yeah. I think this is what happens a lot in mental health is we almost like take on as our an identity or mm -hmm. diagnosis. Yeah. Like how, this is who I am. Yeah, yeah. How do you work with people in terms of kind of finding a balance there? Yeah. So yeah, I feel like it is, it can, especially if again, you felt like something's kind of been wrong with you for years and then you find out whether it's a diagnosis or a temperament or, you know, something kind of tells you, okay, this is, this is why, you know, I feel like there is some relief in that, but I think, it is hard not to yeah, have it become your identity or define you. And so I think it is, I mean, obviously important just having things outside of yourself. You know, I think doing some like self-exploration, you know, whether it's journaling or something like mm -hmm. who am I outside of this aspect or this diagnosis? Like what are my interests? You know, what am I good at? You know, I'm a great friend or I'm a great, mm -hmm. you know, sister or whatever. You know, what am I outside of just this particular trait and so I feel like just being aware of that you know if you do feel like you're kind of over identifying with that or that's kind of yeah become your personality like okay how do I take a step away from this like mm -hmm. yes this is 
part of me and how I respond to things, but there's also so much more. Like, there's you're so much more complex than that. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. kind of, yeah, whether it's sitting down or and journaling or having a conversation or you're on a walk and you're like, okay, I'm going to really reflect on this, but, like, who am I outside of just this trait? Because I do mm-hmm. think it can become easy to, to attach to that and then almost use it as, you know... I can't do that because I am this. Like, you don't mm-hmm. want it to become an excuse either. You know, you want to have boundaries and you want to take care of yourself, but you also yeah. don't want it to be a crutch of, like, well, I can't do anything ever because this is, you know, how I am. It's, okay, this is how I am. If this is something important to me, how do I manage it or go about it in a different way? Or mm-hmm. how can I better take care of myself instead of just that being all there is to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like um, understanding ourselves as... An HSP would actually be a really beautiful opportunity to then explore in therapy in all the ways that you just said, okay, how do I go about embracing this and learning how to live with this part of me, this trait of me? Because it isn't all of me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I love that. Well, I feel like you've given a lot of really good information on HSPs. And again, I think it's going to be really beneficial for a lot of people listening in. Where would you recommend if people are interested in learning more, what should they do? Where where should they go? So, um, I'll give you, I'll send you the website. Mm -hmm. So if you want to link that, so there, I think it's like hsptest.com. I don't know. I can't off the top of my head, think of the exact site, but it's Elaine Aaron's site. So again, she's the one who kind of did the research kind of created this terminology. Um, so there's her site and she, um, there's a test on it you can take and just kind of, you know, see if you're someone in that range just to kind of also break down more of the, the traits that come along with it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, that, that makes sense. That happens to me or I do that. And, you know, just again, kind of gives you some insight into it. So, you know, the test is good. There's books on her site you can read. Um, I feel like just any kind of highly sensitive person related book is good. Um, and then also on her site, it has a list of resources and therapists by state that are like specifically kind of certified in this. So anyone on that site has, has read her book, has, you know, taken the, the test to be certified as a, you know, HSP, um, knowledgeable therapist. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good way if you specifically want to work with someone who, is aware of that trait because yeah. you know I do feel like it, it is newer and not all therapists know about it and mm-hmm. and some people might say like well you need to push yourself and mm-hmm. go to that concert and you know try to experience things and get out of your comfort zone and and that may not feel good for an HSP it may you know feel more kind of shame of like well I can't do yeah, that and my therapist sure. is saying to do this and so I feel like it's good to have someone who kind of understands the trait and is going to work with it instead of um, not really knowing about it so that's mm-hmm. that's a good place to again find the referrals for a therapist to look at, you know, to take that test. There's some books and stuff linked on there too. So I feel like that's a good starting point if this is like a totally new concept to you. Yeah. Some different resources. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. All right, girl, you ready for some slow burn questions? Yes. All right. So let's go. Okay. So obviously the whole premise of this podcast is the idea that we want to have conversations grounded in connection that help us breathe a little easier. And I think you've done that today. Absolutely. Um, and excited for people just to walk away with a little bit more about you. So Bridget, what's one unexpected way you've changed over the last several years? So I would say up until the past year, my life has been very 
goal-oriented and achievement-focused. So going through, you know, through school, I was a good student. I went to college. I worked two two jobs while going to school full-time. I got through my undergrad in three years, like, going through the summers and then, you know, right into grad school. And then, you know, when I was in you know, the, the practice we worked at together, you know, I was always like, okay, what's the next move? Mm -hmm. What's the next promotion? What's the next role? You know, I wasn't, you know, always just satisfied in just being a therapist or a student. It was always kind of like, what's the next step? What's, Mm. what can I achieve next? And I feel like so much of my self-worth was grounded in those achievements, like getting through school quick, graduating, then getting that job. And then, okay, how do I get a promotion in that job? How do I move up? How do I, you know, be a director here? And I feel like that provided so much of my self-worth. And then Mm. when I opened my own practice in the past year, you know, that was an achievement in itself. But then outside of that, like I'm on my own and that's, you know, there isn't, you know, obviously there's, there could be next steps, but I feel like I kind of really just wanted to sit and like what's my self-worth or just feeling worthy without Mm -hmm. it being tied to achievement or my career or schooling like Mm -hmm. I just wanted to just feel worthy and just showing up and being a therapist and so I feel like that's been something that I've noticed kind of changing I wouldn't say necessarily easy but I feel like over the past year I felt a lot better with not always kind of striving for that next thing and just being content with like, I like where I'm at and this is good. And I feel good about myself Mm. without like, okay, what do I have to do next to prove myself? Yeah. I'm hearing so much like mindfulness, right? Just being like really connected to the present moment. I just feel like what everything you just said is a whole podcast unto itself. So (laughs) maybe we have you back and we can just like go down that road. Right. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Second question. What's been a surprising source of joy in your current season? Um, this kind of piggybacks off yeah. the last one, but I would say like simplicity, to be honest. Mm. I feel like my, again, I'm not kind of seeking this next new thing, what to do, what to fill my time. Like, how do I be better? You know, I just feel like kind of simplicity. Like I have, you know, my schedule with my clients and then, you know, I just have my kind of daily routine Mm -hmm. like going to the gym or um going on a walk spending time with my husband spending Mm -hmm. time with my dogs like just kind of the simplicity of like like a day-to-day routine like it kind of sounds boring but it's been Mm -hmm. really nice like just not like having to be so busy all the time and just like actually enjoying Mm -hmm. all of those little things so I feel like that's been something I've really been enjoying is yeah the simplicity and things just not not complicated Mm -hmm. and just kind of like being able to enjoy the downtime that I have because that isn't something obviously I had you know through through college because I was always like what's next and I have to yeah I have to you know work all these hours and do all these classes and you know I feel like it's nice just to not have have that right now so I would say that's been like really like a joy currently Mm, I love that just the contentment right yeah so good and lastly, what's helping you breathe a little easier these days? Um, I would say I'm I'm a big advocate for meditation. I know it's not for mm. everyone. I love I love meditating. I I wouldn't say I have an extensive practice. I try to wake up every morning and do like at least ten to fifteen minutes nice. on you know, I do that insight timer app. It's free, it's super easy. Like you can just look up 
you know, morning meditation or anxiety meditation or um, confidence meditation, whatever. So it's just nice to kind of start the day with that. Um, and I also just like obviously being, I like going on walks, being outside. I like um, weightlifting. That's something I've been doing like over the past six months. I feel like anything to feel like connected to my body is super helpful and I feel like that's obviously those things kind of help me breathe easier being centered and Mm -hmm. being mindful and feeling grounded I think those kind of things within my day are really important like I can tell if I don't meditate or I can tell if I didn't go on a walk or go to the gym like those things really do have an effect even if they're you know 15-20 minutes of my day not doing them I feel like I can tell mm-hmm. just like the heightened kind of anxiety and stress is there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that kind of preventative self care. Right? Yeah. Like this is how I get through the day. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Bridget, thank you. Yeah. Thank I'm you. So glad. It's been so nice to talk to you. Yes. You too, lady. I'm so excited for everyone to learn from you. We'll link um, all of the resources that we talked about. So many that we listed yes. along with um, where to follow Bridget. She has, a gorgeous website. She is on Instagram. And um, I believe that she just got stickers for her business. Yes, I did. Which I'm just, I'm like pitter-patter in the footsteps. I'm going to get some stickers. I want stickers. People love stickers. <laughs> I was like, do. so this is, yeah, I got to have some stickers. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Yes, so excited for you. people to hear this. Thank you. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Breathe Darling, the podcast. It is our joy to bring these episodes to you and we hope that you walk away feeling more connected, more grounded, and like you can breathe a little easier. We love your feedback, so please be sure to leave us a review. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. And lastly, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We are so excited you're here. Again, thanks for listening. Be well and breathe easy. Thank you.